worship today. We're thankful that you have chosen to worship at Gospel Baptist Church. Thank you, worship team and choir, for leading us today as we consider the truth of uh, God's shed blood on the cross to save us from our sins. And as a result, we are to believe and uh, to live a certain way. And so uh, we're mindful of that today. We're in a new series uh, in the book of James. I'll be going through James for the next few weeks, and uh, probably uh, as uh, opportunity arises for the next year, we'll be in the book of James as I preach uh, verse by verse through this book. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, you can turn them on or open them up to uh, James. It's uh, at the end of the New Testament. It's a general epistle written by, uh, I believe, the half-brother of Jesus, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church there at the beginning of Acts. And uh, it's an interesting book, one of my favorites. And again, if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow along on the screen. I meant uh, to say that. It's an interesting book, though, because it's a book of action. James is not so much concerned about what we believe as he is with our behavior. He's concerned with how we behave or how we live and how we act out our faith. He emphasizes putting our faith in Action And so you see as the title or subtitle of the series is, how do we put our faith in action? What does it look like uh, to live out our faith in uh, today's culture? James is going to answer that question for us. In fact, he's going to do it in many ways. Uh, it's an action-packed book. There are 108 verses and 54 commands or imperatives. Those are what we are to do. So if you're doing your math correctly, it's about every other verse we will see a command uh, from James telling us how to live out the Christian life. And by the way, he's not going to enter just the living room of our souls. He's not going to enter the places that we have tidied up, that we've cleaned up for guests to enter. No, he's going to actually open up the junk drawers of our life. He's going to open up the closets where we are hiding our sins, and he's going to address those things. He's going to look at things. He's going to have the audacity to look at things like our wallets. He's going to look at our tongues. He's going to in inspect our lives in such a way that he's going to address about every single issue we face as Christians, and then he's going to tell us how to live in each circumstance. And so my prayer for you as we begin this series, and the prayer for me as well as we begin this series, is to consider the areas in our life that we need to address, and I pray that James will do that through this time. Now the reason James is such an action-packed book is because of its primary purpose, because of the reason he is writing. James, I believe, is writing as verse 1 tells us. In fact, if you have your Bible open, I want you to see that. James says this in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. James is writing to what I believe are Jewish Christians who have gone, undergone persecution. If you go back to Acts chapter 8 verse 1, they are there in Jerusalem and they are scattered as a result of persecution. And so James was once their pastor. 
And so now he is writing to encourage them. He takes it upon himself to address those believers who were once under his care to address certain issues. And so he's writing to Jewish Christians who are struggling in their faith. They are what I would consider a slowdown of sanctification, a traffic jam in their spiritual transformation. And so he begins to address areas in their life in order to help them grow as Christians because the main concern is spiritual maturity. And friend, by the way, it's the same issue today in the church of the 21st century. I am not at all, would not at all be shocked if we considered even the Christians in this room today. There are probably some of us in this room who are struggling to walk as we should walk. And there are probably some Christians in this room today who are dealing with the difficult circumstances of, the, of this life, and it's causing a slowdown in your sanctification. I did some research this week, and they're going to put this statistic up on the screen. There are estimated 2.2 billion Christians on earth today. Out of those 2.2 billion Christians, do you know how many are considered to be nominal or Christians in name only, 1.2 billion, that's over half of our religion today, is considered to be nominal Christians or Christians who only uh, go by it in name. They don't really live out their faith. And by the way, that's not only the concern in number, but it's concern in the church. Somebody put it this way. They said the church today is uh, similar to playpens for kids. Why? Because we're just playing around. Many churches today don't care about your spiritual maturity. They don't care how you look as a Christian. They don't care how you live. We're just Christians in name only. And again, I'm not fooled into thinking that this problem doesn't exist in this room today. And James says that when that occurs, if you go over to chapter 2, verse 26, James will tell you that when your faith is not active, when you're not living out your faith, you're living a worthless faith. It's pointless. Why are you even a Christian if you're not living out the Christian faith, if you're not acting like a Christian should act? And it's a dangerous place to be. Uh, but what I love about the book of James is that he doesn't leave us there in our sins. He doesn't leave us there in our spiritual maturity. In fact, he's going to take the book, as I said, and he's going to help us progress in our Christianity. He's going to help us move to a place of spiritual immaturity, to a place of spiritual maturity. And he's going to do that by looking at what I consider marks of maturity. He's going to show us different areas of our life, and he's going to say, here's what a mature Christian looks like. And so if you're there, you can praise the Lord, thank the Lord that you're there at that mature state. But if you're not, James is going to then take us to the point where we need to get to. He's going to say, here's how you reach the place of maturity. And the first area that he's going to address, the first area that we're going to address today is probably the one on the minds of the believers that he is originally writing to, and that is adversity trials, difficult situations, circumstances that are out of our control. James is going to address those circumstances that are difficult in your life, and he's going to say, here's how a mature believer lives in the midst of difficulty. So because of that, I want to spend a few moments, and I've already, as I've studied this week, you 
you think you're going to get through the passage that you're supposed to get through, but I found that we're only going to get through about four verses today, and then we'll pick up the rest uh, next week. But I want to begin today by uh, clarifying or discussing an adage that many of you have probably heard before. You've probably heard somebody say, when life gives you lemons, what are you supposed to do? Right, make lemonade. It's an adage that you are to say to encourage somebody as they're facing difficult circumstances. Regardless of what life gives you, just try to make the best of it. The problem is that many times, even as Christians, we don't know how to do that. Uh, and what we do is we, we make it difficult for ourselves, and sometimes we, in the midst of trials, make it difficult for other people. Somebody took that adage, and I thought it was good. They turned it around, and they said, when life gives you lemons, squirt it in somebody's eye. <laughs> that happens so many times. We take our trials, and instead of dealing with those things, what do we do? We make it more difficult for other people around us, and it's because we don't know how to handle difficult situations. We do not know how to handle things that come into our lives. And so what I love about James is he's going to tell us how to do that. He's going to jump right into it, and tell us how to handle those things. And that leads me to the main point I want to get across today. If you don't get anything else, I want you to hear this. Here's the main idea for today's sermon. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance you're facing, an active faith knows how to handle adversity. Mature believers know how to manage their misery. Again, though, we don't always manage our misery like we should. Sometimes we, uh, in the midst of our circumstances, complain. It's easy to become pessimistic. It's easy to think that you're the only one dealing with suffering in the midst of suffering. And what you do is you begin to complain. You begin to say, oh, is me. Why, God, why are you doing this to me? And sometimes we try to run from it. We try to say, God, I'm, I'm trying to get out of this thing as fast as you put me in this thing and sometimes we even throw in the towel we quit we give up and, and when that happens we don't spiritually mature we like james in james chapter 2 verse 26 we begin to become worthless but god says if you want to mature in your faith you have to learn how to deal with difficulty you have to learn how to handle adversity but the question is how i believe james gives us that answer it's here in james 1 1 through 12 that James tells us how to do it. And here's the outline for today. If you want to learn how to handle misery, if you want to manage your misery as a mature believer, there are four reminders that you are to remember in order to handle adversity. Four reminders that you are to remember today. If you want to manage your misery, here are four things you are to do. And by the way, we'll get through two of these today, and then we'll address the other two next week. The first thing I want you to see is that if you want to handle your misery today, if you're dealing with a difficult circumstance in your life, if you're struggling with a, a, a trying situation, number one, you are to learn the right approach. You are to remember the right approach to your trials or in your trials. You say, Pastor Nick, what is that approach? How are we to approach? How are we to handle our our, our situations when we get the test results that we don't want from the doctor how do we deal how do we approach that as a christian when we don't get into the college students that you want to get into how do you 
handle that situation? How do you approach the difficult situation of the career change or the job loss or the broken relationship? How are you to approach those things? I believe James gives us that answer. Notice verse 2 here. Here's what he says. He says that if you want to handle your misery, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers or various, as some of your translations might say, temptations or trials. Count it all joy. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, I thought James might have lost his mind for a second. <laughs> James, you're telling me? Could you imagine just the original hearers of, uh, of this book? James, you're telling me to count it joy as I'm suffering persecution? James, you're telling me to count it joy as I'm facing depression? James, you've gone nuts. You've lost your mind. How can we count it all joy in the midst of our difficult situations? Well, I think to answer that question, we have to figure out what James is not saying. James is not telling us in the middle of our situation to enjoy it. He's not telling to, to you to, to enjoy the fact that you've lost your job. Okay? He's not telling you to enjoy the fact that your neighbor received the news that he or she has cancer. James is not telling you to enjoy your trials. Here's what James is telling us to do. He's telling us to view our difficulties under the sovereign Lord who has a purpose and plan for everything you go through. You think about that in your life. Our difficulties, <laughs> our, our trying circumstances, are a part of God's plans. Nothing you go through is wasted. Nothing you deal with is pointless. Our very God, who the Bible says created all things, and not only Colossians 1 says created all things, but holds all of these things together at this very moment has a plan for the reason you're dealing with difficulty. And James is telling us, in essence, that God has a purpose for your pain. There's a purpose for your pain. There's a message behind your misery. And James says, when you understand that, you can count it all joy. You can rejoice knowing that God is going to use these things for your good. He's going to use it in your life for his purposes. And by the way, I want you to see this. I didn't point this out at the beginning, but I want you to see a couple things about trials. Not only are we to count it all joy, but you have to understand, Christian, that trials in this life are inevitable. They're inevitable. James doesn't say if you fall into trials. What does he say? When you fall into trials. When you face difficulty, they are inevitable. They will come. You can count on it in your life, friends. You can count on it. That there will always be trials in this life. There will always be difficulties. They are inevitable. Not only are they inevitable, but they are various. They are varying. They are, as the King James says, divers. They, they come. They're multifaceted. Small, big, Emotional, mental, physical, there are different trials in this life. They come at different times, multifaceted. And I want you to see this too. I thought this was interesting. Not only are they inevitable, and not only are they varied, but they're also unexpected. 
Have you ever noticed that a child doesn't come to your front door, knock, and say, can I come in? (laughs) You know, difficulty doesn't come in your life at the times you want it to come. They're always unexpected, aren't they? What does the Bible say in James chapter 2? It says, or excuse me, verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall. That word fall there is the same one that Jesus used in the parable of the Good Samaritan. What was the man doing as he was traveling? He was walking along, minding his own business. And what did the, the, the band of those who came, and what did they do? They came and tackled him, and they surprised him. He suddenly fell. It's the same thing in your life today. Trials are unexpected. They're going to come at different times in your life. And James says, regardless of when they come, regardless of how they come, regardless of what comes in your life, you can count it all joy. Why? Because God is the one who is in control of every situation you're going through. Not one thing, not one thing that you have faced is not passed through the hands of God. And you can trust him. You may say, Pastor Nick, is that really doable? <laughs> Are you telling me that I, I can actually face the trials and difficulties I, I, I'm dealing with? Can I face those with joy? Can I actually rejoice over those things? And to that, I would answer with what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. I love this. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Listen to what he says. In all affliction. And by the way, he had a lot of affliction. In all affliction, he says, I am overflowing with joy. Overflowing with joy. In everything I'm facing, I am happy. See, the problem is, is when we come to trials and and, and we get discouraged about them, the reason we're doing that is because we're having the wrong approach. (laughs) We're coming to these trials, these difficult situations, with the wrong perspective. And when we do that, guess what's going to happen? We're going to struggle. We're not going to count it all joy. We're not going to praise the Lord in the middle of our difficulties because we value comfort over character. We'd rather be comfortable than God grow our character. We'd rather value the material more than the spiritual. And we'd rather focus on the temporal instead of the eternal. See, we miss what God is doing, not just now, but also for eternity. God is using these trials in a great way to challenge our lives to grow us to become more like his son but then also use it in our lives in ways we don't even know just this week i thought i'd share this story with you to bring this point home this is one of my all-time favorite illustrations to share one of the greatest christians i know living today is johnny erickson tata how many of you recognize that name probably most of you today if if you don't know her story let me encourage you today i don't do it right now Okay, because God's watching you and I'm preaching, okay? (laughs) But if you get a chance, go on YouTube. If if you have YouTube or if you want me to send you the link, you can actually listen to her whole story. She shared it many times, and I watched it two or three times this week. I sent it to my wife to watch. It's an excellent illustration uh, of rejoicing in the midst of your suffering. At the age of 17, at the age of 17, she went swimming with her sister in the Chesapeake Bay, and she went to dive off a barge. Well, she didn't realize how shallow the water was there underneath her, and so she dove off, she hit the bottom, and immediately became a quadriplegic just like that. At the age of 17, she's paralyzed, just like that. Couldn't move anything but her neck. They brought her to the doctor, and the doctors actually confirmed that, and they said, you'll never be able to walk again. At that point, she became completely depressed, discouraged, 
wanting to give up. In fact, they said, as I listened to her story, they actually said that she would ask her family members, when she heard that news, she would ask her family members over and over again just to take her life. She didn't want to live anymore because of the situation she was in. Total frustration. She went through periods of depression and discouragement, spent two years, get this now, friends, two years literally lying in a hospital bed, not able to do anything. Could you imagine that? 17 years old. Every time somebody came to visit her, she would ask these individuals, her friends, her family members, they said, you know, can we read anything to you? She said, well, you could read John chapter 5 with me about the paralytic man who sat by the pool of Bethesda and he didn't have a friend to help him into the water. And what does Jesus do? He walks up to him and he heals him and eventually says, go on and sin no more. Well, Johnny held to that promise. And over and over again, she would have that read to her, and she'd play over in her mind Jesus coming to her and healing her. And she'd beg the Lord to heal her. But after two years, friends, healing never came. She eventually got out of the hospital, and she went to live on the family farm with her sister. And one day, she was doing her exercises that her sister was walking Uh, with her through and uh, many times she would become so discouraged during those moments that she would actually lie in bed all day for days literally completely discouraged well one day they were watching tv and this faith healer came on the tv that was coming to a town near her and she thought well maybe this is my john chapter five and so she ends up buying a a ticket uh, to go and see this faith healer and as she was on her way her and her sister sat there, and she was playing John chapter 5 over in her mind. Maybe God's going to heal me at this point because this faith healer's coming. It's interesting to me, by the way, that you never see faith healers walking through the halls of hospitals, do you? <laughs> Where do you see them? In arenas asking for money, right? But she's thinking that maybe this faith healer's going to heal me. And so about 60 or 70 other paralyzed individuals are actually rolled in into this section in this arena watching this faith healer, perform all these so-called miracles, and they would do the spotlights in the different areas in the room, and the spotlight, though, would never come to where Johnny was sitting. In fact, she said that she would sit there in that section, and she would beg the Lord right there that the, the Spirit of God would move in that section, but guess what? Healing never came. In fact, she said, if you listen to her story, they would actually literally wheel out all of the paralyzed individuals, all the handicapped individuals, they'd wheel them out so that they wouldn't become a distraction at the end of the show. She went home that evening and completely depressed and discouraged, got into her bed and opened up her Bible and began to read John chapter 5 again. She began to imagine Jesus coming to her She imagined Jesus coming to her. She would beg, Jesus, heal me. And she'd ask him, God, why didn't you heal me? Just like those individuals in that arena at that faith, why didn't you heal me? And as she was reading John chapter 5, something changed that evening. She imagined Jesus coming to her. And it was as if he said to her, Johnny, what is that to you? Follow me. Follow me. 
as Johnny reflected on that truth, she began to study God's Word over and over and over again. And in the middle of that situation, as weeks went by, she began to realize that God had a purpose behind her pain. She literally realized that God could use this situation in her life for a greater good. And as that happened, months and years and all these time has passed and she began to get invited to all these churches to share her testimony and she'd come away and she'd say I, I don't really have an answer for this and I'm still in pain in fact chronic pain but she says I know that God has a reason for why I'm in the middle of this situation in 2010 she was diagnosed with cancer and when she was diagnosed with cancer you would think at that point somebody in her situation would just give up but it was different this time she came away and she said that I know that God's grace is sufficient. The story's not done, though. In 2011, her husband took her to Israel to visit the Holy Land, and it was there they stopped at the Pool of Bethesda, the one that she read about in John chapter 5. She began to weep. As she looked over the, the Pool of Bethesda, And they said, Johnny, why, why are you weeping? Why, why are you crying? And as she gathered herself together, she, she looked up and she said this. She said, I was just thanking God that he didn't heal me 38 years ago. I was just thanking God that he didn't heal me 38 years ago. Friend, can you imagine that perspective? She said, God has been my power. And as you watch her testimony, God has been my strength in the middle of this. And he's taught me so many things that I would never have learned if I could walk again. And God has used me over and over and over again. In fact, they asked her, I thought this was good, I didn't have it in my notes, but I just thought it was good as I was considering the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. They said, Johnny, one day they interviewed her, they said, what are you most looking forward to when you get to heaven? She looked back at uh, the people interviewing her and she said, I'm not so much looking forward to be able to walk again and to have new legs. She said, I'm looking forward to having a new heart. <laughs> a heart free from sin. Can you imagine a testimony like that, friend? To be able to say in the midst of your trials that God has a purpose in your pain. God has a reason for why you go through what you go through. He uses pain and is not pointless. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, the Bible says, not only has he created everything, but he holds the future. He has a plan. He has a purpose. You say, Pastor Nick, that doesn't take me out of my pain. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take you out of your situation. I don't, I don't know exactly what you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what you're going through. Many of you are suffering today. We don't even know what you're going through. I, I don't know the difficult situations that all of you are facing, but what I do know is that we have a God who is completely in control of our situation. And what he does is he asks us not to beg for release, but he asks us to respond in the right way. See, friend, here's the deal. You don't get to choose your crosses in life, but you do get to choose the responses to your crosses. 
you do get to choose the approach that you have to adversity. You do get to choose how you react to your situation. And so the question is, as you face difficult situations in your life, how are you going to deal with those things? It all comes down to your approach. Are you going to count it all joy? Are you going to be able to say, God, you have a purpose in my pain. God, there's a reason for why I face what I face. So, friend, let me ask you, how are you dealing with your difficulty? Are you counting it all joy or are you trying to avoid it? James says you want to deal with difficulty, you got to learn the right approach. Number two, number two, and I'll move quickly here. Not only do you have to learn or remember the right approach, but number two, you also must remember the right advantages of our trials. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) There are advantages. There are good things. There are reasons for why you go through what you go through. Christianity, I love this, is a religion that doesn't leave pain pointless. As I said, there are good things that take place in your life as a result of trials. And by the way, as you learn the right advantages of your trials, as you learn that there are good things that come out of difficult situations in your life, you're better able to count it all joy. You're better able to actually live out the first command that James gives us here. You say, Pastor Nick, what are these advantages? I want you to notice verse number three. Notice verse three. James is actually going to give us several advantages here. He says this, knowing this, knowing that you are to count it all joy, (laughs) that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The first advantage of trials is that it teaches you or it produces within you endurance. Endurance, patience, the ability to go when the going gets tough. Toughness is another word there I like to use. When you learn to face trials, when you learn to count it all joy, you can actually, within you, produce endurance to keep going in this life. And by the way, it gets better. Not only do you uh, produce endurance, but the Bible goes on to give us another advantage. But I want you to see this first. You say, Pastor Nick, it's, it's really hard to keep going in life. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you've got to literally crawl. Sometimes you've got to get on your knees. Uh, sometimes you've got to literally lay down because it gets so difficult in your life to endure. The Bible says that as you persevere, you grow in your endurance. It's kind of like lifting weights. I'll give you an illustration here. I know this may come as a shock to some of you, but I don't lift weights like I should, okay? <laughs> Earl, I know you're surprised by that, okay? (laughs) But I don't work out like I should, okay? It's probably been a couple years before I've uh, lifted a weight. I know, shock. But uh, for now, let me just use this illustration, okay? Because uh, I don't really understand anything about it. But let me just illustrate it for you. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, one of the young adults in the Bible study fellowship I lead invited me to go uh, work out with him. There was one problem with that. Well, there were a couple problems. Well, one problem was I hadn't worked out in years. Another problem was he wanted to do it at 5 a.m. Okay. <laughs> That's an ungodly hour of the day, okay? I don't, I don't see 5 a.m. often in my life, but he wanted to go. So I said, well, I'll try to develop a relationship, and I'll go. So as he, as he took me in there, I remember thinking, oh, this ain't too bad. You know, the first 24 hours, I was fine. You know, macho. I was tough. I, I'd worked out. I went home. Hannah, look at me. You know, I can do all this stuff. 
Well, the next 24 hours was totally different, all right? <laughs> you know, you roll out of bed and you're limping around and you're moaning and groaning because you hadn't done it in years. That's what happened to me. Hannah's like helping me lift everything because I'm having a problem just even trying to just exist at this moment. And I realized at that moment that I was to give up lifting weights, okay? The Holy Spirit just worked within me to get rid of that practice, okay? <laughs> that activity was put to the side. That's right, amen, okay. I could, <laughs> uh, but I remember thinking as I was reflecting on this, I was talking to that uh, young man who was with me, and I found out that there's a little secret to lifting weights, right? There, there, there's a reason that you put yourself through that misery. I'm not sure what it is yet, right? But they told me there's a reason. Well, as I reflected on that, there is a reason why you uh, work out, why you lift weights, why you uh, do these things, and it's because you want to practice repetition, okay? You want to pick up the weight, and you want to lift and lift and lift until you can't lift anymore, right? And you lift those weights over and over again to tear that muscle, and it's weaker at that point, in my case, very weak, and it's weaker, but then overnight, what does it do? A couple nights later, it, you, you wake up, and it's actually healed back stronger, right? It, it, it's healed back to a better place to actually resist more weight. It's the same thing in trials in this life. As you face these things and as you lift and as you push back and as you're able to deal with difficult circumstances, guess what? You become stronger. You, you, you're able to endure. You're, you're able to keep going in this life. You're able to keep pushing because God uses trials to help you endure. But I love this now. Not only does he help you endure, but the more and more that you push, the Bible says that God also is doing something else in your life. There's another advantage. I want you to see this, verse 4. Notice this now. James says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Not only do trials produce endurance in your life, but they also, when they finish their work, when endurance is done, what does it do? It makes you spiritually mature. Friend, let me put it this way. It makes you more like Christ. You begin to look more like Christ as the more difficulty you face. And what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful image to consider that God uses trials to make you look more like his son. And yet the problem is in our life many times is we beg God to get us out of something instead of making us look more like his son. Instead of using trials and difficulties in our life to help us become more like Christ. Not sinless. That's not what James means here in this verse. He's not telling you that you're going to be sinless, that you're going to be without sin, that you're going to be whole. No, he's telling us that you're going to be mature. You're going to be made complete. You're actually going to have the missing pieces in your life brought about and put into your life because of suffering, because of trials. It's similar to uh, a jigsaw puzzle. As I've worked in kids' ministry for several years, and I'm sure Miss Tracy and Miss Christie can understand this illustration, I've been in kids' ministry for several years before I came to gospel, and if there's one 
I don't know, object or piece of equipment or activity in the nursery or preschool that's missing a piece, it's a puzzle. <laughs> Have you ever served a nursery before and one of the kids wants you to put this puzzle together and as you're putting it together you notice there's one piece missing and you finally realize when you get to the end that Mickey Mouse is never going to get his nose. <laughs> Why? Because a piece is missing, okay? It happens all the time. It's frustrating, especially for perfectionists like me. I want to finish that puzzle. Friend, let me let you in on a little secret. You and I are like that puzzle. We have missing pieces in our lives. We are not what we are supposed to be. And you know what God does is he takes a trial, he takes a difficult situation, and he finds the missing pieces, and through those trials, he puts it in our life to make us complete, to make us whole, to make us where we aren't lacking anything. See, pain is not pointless. God has a purpose. And if we are to handle difficulty, if we are to handle our trials, the Bible says you are to approach it, number one, with joy, to know that God has a reason, but then also to consider the advantages that God is using these trials in your life for a reason. He's not a pointless God. There's a point behind your pain. There's a purpose there that God is doing, and it's ultimately to make you more like his son. I can't think of a better reason to go through suffering than to become more like Jesus. And to more, look more like Christ today. What a blessing, what a privilege, what an opportunity God has given us to become more like his son today. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather in this room today, we, we are mindful that uh, suffering is real, difficulties are inevitable, they come at unexpected times, and they come in different shapes and sizes, but we know, Lord, that behind all of those situations, there's a purpose, there's a reason, there is a, uh, uh, it's not pointless in the midst of our, our pain, and so, God, we come to you today and I realize that there are individuals in this room that might be struggling with things that we're not even aware of and there are those we do know about and God we ask as we close out this service that your spirit will move among us and that you will challenge hearts today to come to you and afresh and to commit these things in their life to count it all joy to know you're using it in a way to grow them to become more like your son we're thankful today for your word and we're grateful for the time you've given us to open it up. We pray now in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? We are going to go into a time of invitation. If there is a difficulty in your life, if there's a struggle, if there's just something you're dealing with that you want to spend some time with the Lord today, the altar is open. I'm here and we'd love to talk and pray with you uh, this morning.